1: Well, welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Salzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. Today we're going to talk about uh, online degree programs. And uh, it, the, the um, impetus for this show actually was the U.S. News and World Report uh, recently released a list – that ranks the top o- online degree programs in the country. And I use Kelly School of Business graduate degree ranked number one, and I use graduate degree uh, in education ranked number two. Also, IUPU IU, Fort Wayne also made that list. So, today we're going to talk about what makes a successful online degree program and how to maintain quality in online education, and how Indiana Univer- Indiana's uh, programs, IU's programs, made that list. Uh, We have three guests with us in in the studio. We actually have four guests with us in the studio. Three have microphones in front of them. Uh, I.D. Kessner is the dean of Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, and uh, she's joined by Ash Sony, the executive associate dean. Uh, He's kind of the silent partner today, but he's also in the (laughs) studio with us. Uh, We have John Applegate. He's Indiana University's Vice President for Academic Affairs and also Larry Michaleski, who's the uh, Professor Emeritus of Literacy, Culture, and Language Education in IU's School of Education. And he was instrumental in developing the online program for the IU School of Ed. So if you have questions or comments, you can phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348 outside of the local area. You can also join us online by going to wfiu.org slash noon edition. So after that long introduction, welcome to everybody. Thanks for being here with us today. Pleasure. Hi, Bob. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, online degree programs. We've had had, – programs on distance education mm-hmm. before um, but this is we're going to go a step further about you know these wonderful IU degree programs that you have in the Kelly school and in education and uh, I guess Heidi, uh, if you could pr- first start talking about um, you know how long the the Kelly school has been involved in online, in online education and, and how you went about building the program and, and sort of changing it to the new times.
2: Right. Thanks Thanks for that question, and thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, the Kelly Direct program mm-hmm. and its number one ranking. We're very, very proud of it, and I know all of our faculty members uh, share a great pride in the accomplishment that we've that we've achieved here. Um, the online program, the Kelly Direct online program, was one of the first uh, MBA programs online, and we started it in 1999, mm-hmm. so that was the very first year, and we've got a lot of experience with that, and I think many other schools are copying some of our innovations because they've seen how we've done it and how successful it's been. So it's been a longstanding program for us. The program has changed over the years, and in in one respect, there are features that uh, occur in our residential programs or our part-time programs that we've adapted and adopted, into the online space. And that's given the students more of a, what I would term a high-touch experience because they have almost the best of both worlds by getting some of the features from a residential program as well as some of the conveniences and flexibility that an online program presents. So mm-hmm. it the program has changed over the years.
1: Mm-hmm. So I- expand on that a little bit. So what kind of features of a, of a residential program would an online student get?
2: Right, so as an illustration, uh, when we first started the Kelly Direct program, all of the courses occurred online. Now, once a year is, let's assume that students participate uh, over a two year program, might take as many as two and a half or three years to complete given that they're working at the same time. But once a year in these programs, they can come to campus and experience a class in on the Bloomington environment or in the Bloomington environment And interact with their fellow students, network with them. It's a uh, problem-solving-based week of classes where they're working actively on a real-world situation, real-world problem. And they're working in teams and presenting to faculty when they're here. And that's unusual for an online program to have a residential component like that that's optional for students who feel they can take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. Here's another uh, illustration. Uh, We've introduced course uh, rather trip embedded courses where students might learn about a country and then as part of the course together travel to that country with a faculty member and explore uh, uh, problems or projects in that country. That's very unusual for an online course as well. So we have several of these uh, elements that have been a part of our residential program that we've now introduced into our online program.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. And, Larry, uh, if you could talk about the uh, School of Ed's program. and uh,
3: Some of the things that, that ID said are, are are your programs similar? Do they have similar? In, in, in some ways, it, there are actually several programs at the, at the School of Education. There are master's degrees programs in instructional technology and in literacy and, and language education, but there are also about a, a dozen certificate programs now for teachers around the world who um, maybe they already have a master's degree and they want to take three or four courses to to upgrade themselves or to to work on. Um, new things that have come out in the field. There are also uh, what the School of Education has tried to do is integrate these online courses as much as possible with the regular program. So the courses are often taught by the same people who would be teaching the on-campus courses uh, people who are in our residence program here, both in the doctoral and the master 's degree programs, oftentimes will take one or two online courses as, as part of their program and then what they find is it helps them get employment later if they 've mm-hmm. uh, taken online courses or worked with a faculty member in developing them or or team team teaching in them um, the The development and the the change that 's happened over time I, I think I think many of the programs here. We'll, we'll get into that, but we, we started out with it mostly just being uh, electronic communication online. It started out with email and then went into uh, ways that you could communicate with people in print in groups but it's it's evolved now to we 've got many of these programs that are as you described in the kelly program you 'll take one or two courses in the program on campus, and the rest might be online or we've the state department has funded us to offer courses to uh, English teachers nominated by embassies around the world, and some of that will involve them also working with Skype or working with um, other people within their area so that there'll be some face-to-face meeting and some online. Uh, some of the grants that we've had from the state and the U.S. Department of Education have involved some time uh, with students on campus, much more time online, some time with a faculty member visiting them at the schools they're working in. So there's a, a wide mixture. The The term blended learning is, has come up a lot, and even that, in you know, in in the, the journal's people get uh, nervous because it's hard to define. There are so many different ways to blend all the elements. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk a lot more about the the specific
1: programs in the Kelly School and the School of Education, but I want to go to John Applegate, who's uh, Indiana University's Vice President for Academic Affairs, and talk about how um, online education is a part of you know, the greater university and how, how you see this, uh, the university sort of shaping its uh, experiences for students, including online education.
4: Thanks. That's a great question. Uh, online has uh, been with us, as I think you've heard for for actually a lot longer than, than many people think. Uh, people, people tend to think of it as something of the past uh, three or four years. And in fact, uh, in education, in Kelly School, it's been uh, around at a very high level uh, of quality for uh, for quite a while. Uh, actually, IU currently has, across the whole university, uh, over 108 different degree and certificate programs. So it's a really very big part of an IU education overall. And it's one that while there's, uh, there's been rightfully a great deal of focus on, on what Kelly and education, and I, I really need to add nursing uh, from IUPUI uh, to that, um, it's, it's really pervasive in a lot of different areas of the university on, on uh, almost all of our campuses as well. Clearly, uh, online education is going to be part of the future of higher education, and I just can't emphasize enough what Larry was saying about the variety of what online means. Uh, It uh, it in some ways, uh, at one level, it's simply the computerized version of computer or of uh, correspondence courses. And I think people would regard that as a a very minimal uh, at best way of providing online education because the online platform allows a huge range of, of Ways that students can interact with each other, and of course with the with the instructor. And as web technologies expand, and the range of technologies and um, uh, and opportunities expand, uh, we need to be expanding. Uh, Our use of them and finding out how to use them more more intelligently. I think both Heidi and Larry mentioned that the course the course content and the mode of delivery has changed dramatically over time, and I think that's just going to accelerate. So, in fact, online education is the subject of. And IU Education as well, the School of Education and uh, and other parts of the university are very interested in uh, in developing. That, as a subject for for education and and Larry you can correct me, but um, I believe uh, one of uh, the early MOOCs was on that very subject, yes, Kurt bonks, yes yeah mm-hmm.
1: and we should de- define MOocs that 's massive online
4: massively open online course right, course, right? Yeah. and uh, and massive means massive uh, capable of tens of thousands of people participating, um, open is free uh, to whoever wants to uh, participate in it. And that's, that's been a term that's uh, sometimes come to define all online education. But, of course, it's really a very small uh, part of it, and I don't know if it's one that's actually going to grow, but it's the one that made the New York Times and Wall Street Journal uh, a great deal.
3: Yeah, there's there a couple of places. Georgia Tech, for example, is experimenting with a different business model for it. What, what they've done is they've got a waiting list that's almost as long as the number of people they admit into their computer um, science program. And They've allowed people on that waiting list to take online courses that are also available for free. But if you're going to get credit for it, you have to pass tests and show that mm-hmm. you've actually learned things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the direction these massive online courses are going to move, they're going to have to move, is they aren't going to be free – you're going to pay for what you get. <laughs> if you want some sort of certification that says you actually did more than kind of observed it while you were watching YouTube, you're going to have to take tests or or pay for somebody for certification. And, and right now, I, I think universities and, and others are are exploring with, with how to do that. Khan Academy, for example, mm-hmm. has all sorts of free mm-hmm. education. But um, – you know, I, I don't think anybody's going to get a job saying I spent a thousand hours looking at Khan Academy vid- videos. There's going to have to be some way that you demonstrate that you can do and can know something. Mm-hmm. Let, let me give our phone numbers
1: again in case uh, our listeners uh, want to get in on the discussion. 855-0811 or 1-877-285-9348. You can also join this discussion by going to WFIU.org slash Noon Edition if you're shy and don't want to go on the air.
0: <laughs> John, I know that um, online yeah. education has been around at indiana university for over 15 years now uh, in some cases probably pushing 20 uh but how and why is it a good thing for indiana university it's quite a departure from the the traditional you know show up at campus on campus in august and Mm -hmm. and leave in may
4: i think there are a lot of reasons why it's good to be part of it uh but I'll start with it's necessary to be part of it. Uh, this uh, the online uh, platform allows for flexibility for students, uh, and many people, many institutions are doing it. So if we are going to uh, remain competitive in that environment, we need to be participating. But, it's, but I, I don't want to emphasize the negative reason because I think there are a lot of really strong positive ones. And I'd start with flexibility. Um, there are many students whom Indiana University serves or could serve in a variety of, of settings that, for whom making it to campus for, uh, for four solid years is not uh, viable. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly uh, have those, uh, those kinds of students uh, in abundance at our regional campuses uh, and to the extent that we want to reach internationally, and obviously a global focus is something that IU is uh, very uh, is very focused on. Um, it, there's another group of students for whom coming to campus for that kind of long period of time is just not viable, and so it's an opportunity for Indiana University to to reach out and. It's also recognizing the changes in the way that students expect to receive and process information Mm -hmm. uh, to uh, – we all know the huge changes that uh, the internet, Larry mentioned YouTube, um, Mm -hmm. have made in people's experiences. And that – if we're going to effectively reach students who are getting their information and learning in those ways. We need to be able to do that as well, and and then finally, again, the the variety of online experience is is really uh, is valuable. The kinds of hybrid experiences that ID was talking about are just not possible um, without online, and mm-hmm. it just opens up new ways of learning. And it's just wonderful when our our schools and departments and especially individual faculty members are are, are experimenting with those.
0: Is it more cost effective for the university and the student to take advantage of these classes?
4: Overall, no. Um, it may be make it more possible for an individual student, but I think it's a, a mistake to believe that online education is uh, is, is infinitely scalable. mean, if if we've learned anything uh about education, and I'm sort of embarrassed to say this in the presence of a professor of education, but but it has enormous amounts to do with uh, the engagement between the instructor and the learner, and between the learners, or among the learners. And, in fact, one of the things that we do as a university, uh, every three years, or even more frequently, is work with uh, the IU-invented uh, National uh, Study Study of student engagement, because we see that as a good measure of the learning experience. So it's not a matter of just zillions of people watching it's a bunch of YouTubes. Um, there has to be that kind of engagement if students are really going to learn. And once you understand that, then you realize that you have to, you can't scale it without having more instructors or more people to to work with the students. And of course the infrastructure that the internet seems kind of free, but of course it's being paid for somehow, somewhere. And all of the technology, uh, the development that goes into these courses, uh, it's it's enormous. And you know, I, again, uh, Ida and Larry can probably speak to this uh, much more specifically than I. But the development of sophisticated, competitive, really effective courses involves. A team of people. It's not just some someone in a blackboard.
3: And the teacher's time is um, comparable, sometimes even greater. It, it, I just I, I want to reinforce what you've said about the way we do education here at Indiana University. That it, it's engagement. It's plenty of time. It's teachers providing feedback. It's students being able to communicate with each other. But that's not everywhere. And part of the reason I think people look at online education, sometimes with a negative cast, is the business model of some of the for-profit universities has been to have a large, large course with maybe three, four, five hundred students in it, taught by maybe a high school teacher or somebody with a master's degree with minimal feedback and with the plan that maybe a third of those students will drop out and you'll have their tuition. I mean, Mm. there there are Mm -hmm. ways to design some of these courses to be cash cows, Mm -hmm. and uh, Indiana University has not taken that route. As as a matter of fact, like like I've mentioned, a lot of the research on engagement and how can you increase it in online courses has been done by faculty members here at at Indiana University. Uh, The course sizes have not been massively designed to, to bail out other parts of the institution. They've been looked at more as investment for for what uh, John's been been describing here, and um, online education is is like vehicles or physicians or people who repair your floors. There are some better than others, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, right. and mm-hmm. I, I think the recognition of the programs here at Indiana every university as being much better than others is is well deserved. Heidi mm-hmm. Kessner is the dean of uh, the IU Kelly School of Business. I know you've heard a lot
1: from your colleagues there that you want to react to, and you yeah. w- wanted to react before, I think. You <laughs> have, uh,
2: <on> <laughs> uh, just to add to something John said a minute ago, and, and he was answering the question from the, pers- the financial perspective of the university, mm-hmm. but we also have to think about the financial perspective of the student. Mm. And we get a very Uh, special demographic in our online Kelly Direct program, because 100% of those students have either uh, been working or currently working, most of them currently working. And when they go back to a residential program, they have to walk away from their jobs, which is a very big cut for them. Mm -hmm. And if they've got family responsibilities and, and they've got a great job and they just want to enhance their skills and experiences to get that next promotion, then this really becomes a very useful tool for them to accomplish that without having to give up so much Mm -hmm. financially. These are MBA students we're talking about. Exactly. Uh Exactly. So from the student's perspective, you know, the the opportunity cost issue comes into effect here, and and we have to take that into consideration. So I I think that we are very good for a certain demographic of student Mm -hmm. that really wants to get that next promotion, and we can help. Uh, the student developed the skills and abilities to, to succeed in the workplace. In fact, we we look at the value of the degree. We actually measure the value of the degree. And 66% 66% of our students received a promotion while they were enrolled in the program or within three years of graduation. And the average salary increased for our students 36%. Wow, that's so significant. So they're working, but they can enhance. They can do mm-hmm. something better. Teacher, Let's say what teachers, I like,
3: teachers don't get 36% increase. Yeah, right. But <laughs> most of the other sorts of things that you've said about unable to walk away from a job or, or even take off an entire summer to take summer courses just no longer holds, holds true. they yeah caught between uh, several rocks and several hard places.
2: So let's get those teachers enrolled in the Kelly Direct MBA program. How's that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've lived in Bloomington a long time and I remember...
0: um, prior to 1999 uh, a frustration with local business people having this great school of business and the MBA program but not being able to take advantage of it and so uh, I assume then this is going to be a, a, a this is a feasible option then uh, you just have to get admitted
2: right? Absolutely and, and, w- and we do have admissions criteria and we do select the best students but you're absolutely right it becomes uh, an opportunity for many of those individuals. But I doesn't add, it, doesn't I- it swell the numbers though of people who can go through the program? Um, I, I, I'm, we have a lot of students in the program, so I'm not sure quite what you mean by swell the well, numbers. We to, maintain... Compared to pre-1999. Well, yes. Our, our size has increased, but we maintain <sighs> class sizes on the order of what you heard before. In other words, we don't have sizes that are 200 person classes. Our classes run between 40 and 50 students per class. So you get a lot of attention, individual attention from the faculty member. We've had to devote more faculty resources as the program has grown. Mm -hmm. So that has occurred. I I might mention before we were talking about MOOCs and we were talking about the difficulty of monetizing MOOCs and also uh, the fact that, that MOOCs have some appeal, but but it's hard to motivate yourself when you engage in something free and then and then potentially mm-hmm. dropping out from that kind of, of program. We've tried to turn MOOCs on its head just a little bit. And we've been offering for Kelly Alums webinar series, which are akin to MOOCs, where they can enhance their skills, update their skills in areas which may be important to them. And we've been sending out these notices to Kelly Alums, and then they they can sign up and take a six-course series or a four-course series that will help ensure that Kelly students have the best of skills on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. So that's been very successful for us, and ultimately we'd like to extend it to Indiana University alums writ large for Mm -hmm. the whole group. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to have to take a short break. Uh, We're talking about uh, online education and online degree programs with I.D. Kessner, the dean of Indiana University's Kelly School of Business, John Applegate, IU's vice president for academic affairs, and Larry Michaleski, who's the professor emeritus of literacy, culture, and language education for the IU School of Education. You're listening to Noon Edition. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zultzberg from the Herald Times along with Mary Catherine Carmichael, and we're talking about online degree programs today. Uh, the U.S. News & World Report uh, recently released a list that ranks the top online degree programs in the country, and I use Kelly School of Business graduate degree program, Kelly Direct. Ranked first, and IU's graduate degree in education ranked second. So we're talking with uh, representatives from those programs today, and um, we're we have three guests with us in the studio. ID Kessner is the dean of the IU. Kelly School of Business. John Applegate is the IU Vice President for Academic Affairs. And Larry Michaleski is Professor Emeritus of Literacy, Culture, and Language Education for the IU School of Education. If you want to join us on the program, please phone us at 855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. And you can also join us online by going to WFIU.org slash Noon Edition. Now, we were talking uh, a little – we've talked a lot about the programs, but I think the, the one big question is, you know, why, why how did um, IU's Kelly School Program and IU School of Educa- Education Program, why did they rise to the top of this list? What, what distinguishes mm-hmm. these programs from others And Heidi Kessner, you want to start with that? I'd be
2: delighted. So I think there are two ways to answer that question. One is to look at the survey itself and to identify what the survey measured. And then the second way to answer that is to think about what uh, features our program has that distinguishes us from other comp- competing programs. So we can talk first about the survey itself. The survey measured several div- several items. One was student engagement. That was perhaps the largest component uh, in the survey. And that includes things like accreditation, graduation rates, class sizes, which we talked about before, retention rates, time allowed to graduate, collaborative working opportunities uh, and Coursework opportunities, things like that. There was an admissions selectivity component, which we talked about as well, and that is GMAT scores for us or GPA, the graduate, uh, the grade point average rather, uh, experience, those kinds of things went into it. There's a peer reputational component to it, and that's how our peers rated us. And so did they give us good marks? Uh, there are, there's the faculty credentials who's teaching in our courses, and they take a look at the preparedness of those faculty and the degrees held by those faculty. And then the last piece is the student services and technology. Do we provide additional services for our students, and how strong is our technology? So that's how the survey measured us, and and we scored very well on all of those dimensions. The other thing I mentioned was um, the idea of what distinguishes us. And uh, I think one key factor for the Kelly Direct program is we use the exact same faculty in the online program that we do in our residential and our part-time program. There are many other programs that go out and hire lecturers or instructors to teach, but it's not, those are not their primary mm-hmm. faculty. We use the exact same faculty, and this is the same faculty that has either been ranked number one or received A or A plus grades in every survey that has been done since the surveys were started. So we've got a very high quality faculty. We talked before about mirroring some of the residential experiences. That makes our program distinct. We talked about the flexibility. Our program, you can join in a synchronous fashion where you can interact with the faculty member while the class is ongoing. Or if that's not amenable to, to your your needs at the point, that point in time, you can go back in in an asynchronous fashion and, and gather the lecture and gather the course content and look at what was going on during that course. And I think also in our program, what you see is what you get. And I, what I mean by that is... You do get to interact with the faculty on a regular basis. The faculty members are the ones touching and grading your assignments. We know a competitive programs where they record the faculty, they do a video recording. That's what you're watching. When you interact, you're interacting with uh, an instructional uh, a support system, a, a teaching assistant, if you will. And the, the assignments are farmed out, outsourced to other countries, and graders in these other countries. We don't do any of that. We have our faculty actively engaged, and they're the ones touching the assignments, and they're the ones interacting with the students. And, and the final piece is that we run our own program in-house. There are many schools that have joined with a for-profit institution yes. to run their program. We run our own program, and that means we know what our learning objectives are. We can make sure those learning objectives are a key part of the program.
3: I, I think that that's one of the reasons why these these rankings are, are really important. Mm-hmm. Many many corporate entities have started to get into the into the yeah. field, working with partly in partnerships and mm-hmm. p- sometimes behind the scenes. And um, profit's going to be the main main mm-hmm. emphasis for them. And and education is both for the Kelly program and the school of education program is is the major emphasis and I I think I'd like to just add one thing everything that you've said about the Kelly program also holds true for the education program the thing I'd like to add is that a lot of the research in how online education is working is done by faculty and by, by doctoral students at the, the School of Education. So they're in, it isn't that they look at an online course as, oh yeah, here's something I've got to do. It's, they're really interested in how this is working and spend a lot of time at it, and they're are gathering evidence both for how to make it better for themselves and also to share with the rest of the planet on how how do you do mm-hmm. these sorts of things. The, the leaders in these areas are are here. and, and um, Part of the the credit, I think, has to go to the institution that the the technological support at indiana university is is just light years ahead of many, many other places, and and that 's made many things possible okay. okay we have uh, our first phone caller of the day, and uh, herb
1: from Bloomington has a question, so herb go ahead.
6: Yeah, I'm uh, interested in in the steps that IU takes to ensure the academic integrity of these uh, courses. Not so much the quality of the faculty and that sort of thing that's been addressed, uh, but the potential for cheating uh, by students. My my daughter is in an online nursing program out of Kentucky. She lives in the Washington State area. Uh, One of the things she discovered when she did her due diligence on that program is that it's very well respected in Washington. Because they're absolutely certain that the people that receive the degrees are the ones that did the work. She had to purchase uh, some technology. It sits on the desk, it, it provides a, 20, a continuous video recording back to the people in Kentucky that she's there. Uh, she logs on with a biometric, uh, with a fingerprint, and she has to go and provide biometric data to this place right at the beginning of this program, and then at the end she goes there and and takes exams that confirm that it really is her. I'm wondering what we do at IU that is is similar in terms of of making sure that the um, the, the online system isn't being abused by people who are getting others to do their work for them.
1: Well, okay, that's
0: a great Herb. question, Herb. Really, 21st century stuff.
4: Yeah. Okay. John Applegate. Um, sure. Um, I can take a, a first uh, start at it, um, Herb. As you mentioned, a lot of the ways that uh, that one assures the integrity of online education is through various forms of technology, uh, ways of authenticating individuals, uh, proctoring exams, and so on. And one of the functions of the University Office of Online Education is to make those broadly available to assure that all programs have the the technologies available to, to ensure integrity. Um, I, I should also add, though, that what I have heard from uh, instructors in online programs our online programs that involve a lot of in instructor student uh, involvement is they really get to know their students in, in a meaningful way. And when all of a sudden the language changes um, or the character of the person changes, they, they notice that. Uh, that's not the most important thing about uh, student engagement, the most important reason that that we care about it, um, but it's a side benefit of it so those are those are critical issues I agree and if uh, online education is to be uh, really important in the future, those are critical questions that'll have to be asked okay,
0: Larry you. I- Oh, go ahead, Madel, oh, that, Larry. You go first. Yeah, you but. were kind of getting tickled about the question. What, what's, what's you seem to have a strong reaction
3: when we uh, first started some of these programs? The question came up: How can you make sure that somebody's dog isn't going to get a degree from Indiana University? And, and the answer, of, of course, is, is much much as, as John was saying. Our, our courses have twenty to twenty five students in them. Uh, there's regular feedback back and forth from the teachers to the to the students. Some of it is is uh, Oral. Some of it is Skype. Some, a lot of it is is online typing. And uh, our our instructors and, and professors say they they do because they have more contact than somebody who just comes in for a, a class a couple of times a week and then leaves right away to have coffee with with their friends. There's much more contact in the online courses than there there is in in the face to face courses. And, and the instructors expect to be doing that because that 's the time that they 're spending it 's with the students what what isn 't possible, I think, is to tell is there somebody who 's used a false name and, and gone through a course for the entire time and um, I was grinning a little bit at the biometric sorts of things that that uh, you, the caller caller mentioned I, having images of n s a coming in and planting chips in the students to make sure that they were sitting and within a meter of their computer at the right time and I, yeah th- there 's always a balance between. Security. I I would say that you're more likely to find somebody um, taking a test for a frat brother in a face-to-face course than you are going to have somebody spending all of the time interacting in an online course. But um, that remains as something to be tested. I I'm curious to know about how the uh, the person responds to all of this biometric monitoring, whether they find that intrusive or not.
6: Uh, her husband works for Microsoft.
3: No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Oh, who, who works for NSA? Uh, I understand. Yes, enough <laughs> <Yeah. Not laughs>
6: said. Like when you get right down to it, right. uh, with a TV camera pointing up into a parabolic mirror in a very small place where she puts her thumb when she logs in. Yeah, And uh, that getting that biometric data was the primary reason they had them come at the beginning of the program.
3: I see. Okay.
6: Who they were. Uh, Okay. Um, my point is that, that that turned out to be one of the things that gave the program the greatest credibility among the medical community in Seattle.
3: Well, I, I hope that they had also something about quality of the program in addition they to the do. biometrics. Yeah.
1: I want to add, they, they yeah, Thank well, okay, thanks a lot, Herb. Um, okay. one, one of the – I was going to ask Herb, too, but one of the other things that, that we've heard – I guess it sort of surprised me when I, we did an earlier show on – on just distance education and online courses and whatnot is is there um, the people who are on that program talked about the rigor of the online courses being uh, at least as uh, as strong uh, as rigorous uh, as a classroom experience is that
3: uh, would you well yeah and there's more than just the, the experience of individuals the, the, the u.s federal government has now gathered together more than a thousand studies across all sorts of areas of, of education and compared how well people test out who've taken online versions of courses to face-to-face and and that they come out as is equivalent with a slight leaning towards the online courses having better mm-hmm. performance though mm-hmm. so, It's hard to judge on that because oftentimes somebody who's more self-motivated is likely to take an online course. But uh, online courses do not lose.
2: (laughs) I think that's the key, that there are many different kinds of learners. And some learners are very effective in a classroom. Some some students learn better that way. Some learn very well and are highly self-motivated online uh, we happen to have a program that is a hybrid of all of those where we try and combine those features to give the best of, of both worlds, if you will. But it really is up to the learner and what he or she feels comfortable with.
0: Are these classes, um, the online classes, uh, going to be made available for high school students who want to come they, to They
3: already are because the state has cut most of the funding for summer school. Mm-hmm. Almost every district in Indiana has been forced to have their summer school offerings be online courses taught by high school teachers. Uh, and, and as a matter of fact, many of the people we have in our some of our master's degree programs are interested in uh, finding out more about online courses because they know they're going to be having to develop their, their own mm-hmm. to offer. And and the, the real risk with that, I mean, there's, there's a twofold risk to that. One is because the state's cut funding and, and the communities have cut funding for summer school, um, Will they have funding for developing a high quality of, of online course, and the other is one that uh, we we 've touched on in in the break that um, as the lower you go on the skill level, the more structured the course has to be the more the more you need to have somebody available on an eight hundred number to answer questions about about things and what what is unclear is just how i 'm guessing that some individuals and some school districts do a much better job than, than others well, with that.
0: Okay, and that's, that's even a different element than I was thinking about when I asked the question. I'm thinking more in terms of uh, high school students who want to come to college with credits under their um, belt.
3: Oh, yeah, that, that, those are available. As a matter of fact, it's possible to um, do an entire high school diploma. On, online, mm-hmm. uh, there, there are courses that are available, and in, in many smaller districts will have, when they, when they don't have the faculty because they've they've had to cut teachers, will offer some courses online. You know, a Japanese course or a mm-hmm. course in in AP Chemistry or, or something something like that. That that's part of the mix of, of almost every district in in the the country now, um, and then the, the homeschooling. Um, direction has has played a big role in, in encouraging that. But again, it's this whole range of as as you were you were saying that it's what does the student need and is the course and is the instruction designed to, to best fit that. And and that's I think we do a very good job of that here at Indiana, Indiana University.
1: Our phone numbers again are eight five five zero eight one one in Bloomington or toll-free 1-877-285-9348. You Can also join the live chat at WFIU.org slash noon edition. Uh, I have a couple of different directions I, I'm thinking about going, but I think I'll go this way first <laughs> with with I.D. Kessner. Um, you and and John and also Larry have talked about the flexibility of the courses, and I, and this this is one of those um, you know very basic questions that, that I get to ask because I. I'm trying to to understand if I wanted to – if somebody wanted to get an MBA, uh, are these courses uh, available like 24 hours a day online? Are there certain times when – so you can plug into your professor uh, and the lecture online as opposed to – Uh, having to go on at a certain time at night to Mm -hmm. listen to a lecture and interact with.
2: Right. So the way our program works, and by the way, each course is unique and set up by the individual instructor and in agreement with the students so the students know at the beginning of the course how it's going to be handled. But oftentimes what happens is an instructor will set up a time uh, in order to have the students view the session online, watch the instructor live. You can even see the instructor writing, if you will, on the equivalent of a whiteboard, Mm -hmm. and typing in questions that they might have for the instructor uh, about the material that's being discussed at that point. You can even have discussions back and forth uh, between students. Mm -hmm. Of course, they're typing these discussion points, and other students can read and see what's going on. That then is recorded. And if a student isn't able to join in a live session, they can call in and view the session afterwards. At that point in time, they can't ask live questions Mm -hmm. of the instructor, but they can email the instructor afterwards. They can set up a time to talk individually with the instructor if they then have follow-up questions. I'm I'm smiling because I think our most unique situation was someone who was taking one of our Kelly Direct courses on an aircraft carrier. And uh, that's not always conducive to being right at that point in time or if you're taking it and you're quite distant, maybe in another country, because we get a lot of international students who are part of Kelly Direct. If the time sequence doesn't work for you, if you're working during the qu- classes in the evening, you're working during the day, you can always contact the instructor afterwards and follow up on material, but you can view the session if you will that was that was recorded.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we have a same of the internet. We teach many courses for teaching English as a second language and okay. we can we can have people who are in Tokyo, Paris, uh, Abu Dhabi uh, as well as as in, in teachers in the United States. So coming up with a single time sometimes is, we don't do that much of that for those courses. But there are other courses where there'll be a a presenter who's presenting to the the class and available during a certain time frame, and most of the class signs in. There may be one or two students who can't, and there's an alternative pathway that that they can take. But one of of the things I think that the technology has made much more possible, um, we just had a a dissertation presented on, on a Of course, it was using Skype and and a buddy system where pairs of people would would discuss things and then the transcript of that discussion would be available to the teacher to watch. And we've had a teacher in 5,000 miles away in different parts of the continent – sharing ideas about how to do a heritage language program where there was nobody literally within her state that she could work with so that the Mm -hmm. online education is made possible for like-minded people to connect and work with each other in in ways that just weren't available if you only had people who could trek into, you know, if if you draw a 50 or 100-mile circle around Bloomington and people who are going to come in for those courses as compared to People who may share your interests all over the Mm -hmm. planet—it just—it makes the classes quite different from from the on-campus
4: courses. Yeah, I think that just underscores the uh, incredible variety of possibilities that this this creates. Uh, Everything from uh, truly synchronous courses uh, that are sometimes called online um, are really just new versions of old distance uh, education. But I think, uh, for example, we often forget um, the incredible advances that have been made in Skype or mm-hmm. uh, a m- more high bandwidth, uh, more precise uh, forms of synchronous communication that make it possible even within the university um, with um, – traditional uh, in-residence kinds of students to gain access to courses uh, that they wouldn't otherwise have been able to gain access to, or at least not at a very high quality. So you go from there to courses that are designed to be entirely asynchronous, where there's there's no expectation that there will be talking at the same time, but there are ways Mm -hmm. to do it. And I think what you're going to see in so many areas of... Of, of online education, that it will be a series of hybrids and experiments and tailoring to the particular needs of particular kinds of subjects.
0: You know, I know in Indiana there's been an effort to increase the flexibility and fluidity, if you will, of, of transferring credits um, among um, educational organizations. I would think that this would open up a whole new can of worms along those lines, especially as you concern yourselves with quality. Um, obviously, IU's pulled out ahead of the pack and has really established themselves as, as an amazing uh, quality program. So I would think um, you'd be looking very closely at accepting online educational credits from other organizations. How are you handling that?
4: Well, it's a very difficult problem. And you're right. When uh, the increased use of online means that the, the convenient geographic boundaries that used to uh, make everybody kind of autonomous. I mean, not only within our university, but uh, with other institutions. Mm -hmm. Um, That evaporates is too strong a word, but it's certainly uh, those barriers have been uh, decreased considerably. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right also that the state Uh, has required, uh, by law, um, much greater transfer among institutions. Uh, What we've tried to do, uh, advocated at IU, and I think that the state is by and large doing, is to really try to focus on, uh, on learning outcomes. And work with other uh, public institutions, primarily in the state, uh, to assure that the uh, that we have appropriate equivalence of of learning outcomes. But it it is something that. Is still a work in progress. I've got to say, and I don't think anyone has uh, has the answer to it. Um, obviously, one of the most important things is that we're very transparent about where credits came from, and that uh, and that we're also very clear about when when people uh, represent having a particular degree that that really means something. That yeah. it's not just a, a you know smorgasbord of things from here, there, and everywhere. But it's it's very much an ongoing issue.
3: What we're likely to run into at education is somebody wanting to transfer in one or two courses taken online through another institution. And, right, and that's those, what I was imagining. Yeah, for those, we'll take a look at uh, is the institution it comes from accredited? Take a look at the syllabus. Uh, ask sometimes even ask them to, to send in some of the final assignments that they did for that that class. We we use the same review process that we use for transfer of other other courses, but maybe look a little bit closer. Um, to, you know, if it, if it comes from somebody who's new on the scene and. We don't know what quality monitoring they've got intact. Uh, we'll look at exactly what the student did a lot more closely. We have, we have less than two minutes to go, but I want to ask the what's
1: next question. I mean, are there, are there things that you're looking at now for future online
3: courses that are going to keep IU ahead of the curve? Learn? Well, two things I think that are next. A lot more of this online technology is being integrated into the on-campus courses. You, know, you have a lot more people. Instead of trying to figure out when can we all meet at Starbucks together to do our group assignment, they may be meeting by uh, online discussion and chat rooms or they may be tied into uh, you know, some of the uh, uh, software now allows for not, – not Skype, but but other software allows you to have – you yeah, visual things. Where you can, your iPad will have three or four squares on it, and your group might be meeting there simply because it's possible to do, and people
4: are a lot more tied into it. Okay. Uh, and I just very quickly I think that there are a lot of pieces of online education where um, the university as a whole can provide support to the schools and departments and faculty they are the engines of this operation um, and what the university as a whole can do is leverage its size to provide tools mm-hmm. I last 30 seconds.
2: I think that you're going to see online used in uh, non-degree programs as well as degree programs. You're going to see a lot of corporations embracing online for executive education as well. Mm-hmm. So I can see Indiana University being a part of that. Well,
3: it's cost of travel. I, uh, last yeah. month I presented – by Skype to a class at the University of Arizona in in Tucson. Uh, Partly it's because they couldn't afford to pay the travel. All
1: right. We're out of time. I want to thank Idy Kessner, John Applegate, and Larry Michaleski. Also, Ash Sony for being here in the studio with us. Uh, For producer, Claire McInerney, engineer, Mike Pashkash, and my co-host, Mary Catherine Carmichael. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening.